Street Smart Real Estate Investing. Welcome to the new innovative concept of real estate investing. No more expensive courses. No more high-priced mentors taking your money and leaving you without ongoing support. Become a full-time seasoned real estate investor by participating with our already successful team members. Now is the time to stop talking about real estate investing and start doing. Take action. Just ask and we will help you. We promise one thing, no BS. For more info, www.streetsmartrei.com. Hello, everybody. My name is Jarek Buchholz. Uh, perfect timing, I think, even to the second, because I just saw on my laptop switch to 7 o'clock p.m. and 9 o'clock uh, p.m. in Eastern Time. And we have a very, very knowledgeable Canadian real estate investor, educator, Mr. Uh, Emmett Kelly. Hello, Mr. Emmett. How have you been doing today? Hi. How's it going, everyone? I'm always good. Okay, so would you mind telling more about yourself so our Canada REIC members can be familiar who who you are and what you're doing? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, my name's Emmett Kelly. My wife uh, Elizabeth Kelly and I we do we we have a real estate investing business where we're both full-time real estate investors. We're out of uh, Newmarket, Ontario, which is just a little north of Toronto. We've got investments in the Maritimes in. Um, Northern Ontario, Southern Ontario, Quebec, Newfoundland, sort of all over Eastern Canada is where we focus. We've been expanding out into the U.S. a little bit. We, um, we've got about 250 units under our belt and probably about 35 to 40, I think, rent-to-owns that we've done. So Elizabeth focuses on the rent-to-owns. I focus on the buy, rent, and holds. Um, we've been doing this since um, 2005, but as full-time investors or as incorporated, sorry, since 2009 when we started with our uh, Rich Dad training. And um, just about a year and a half ago now, we became instructors for Rich Dad. So both Elizabeth and I teach the lease option class for Rich Dad, and we teach negotiations as well. So that's our quick story as to uh, who we are and what we've done in the past little while. And I hope to... Uh, inform everybody on RRSPs and okay. uh, how to make them work in the next uh, couple hours. Okay, perfect. So the way how we are going to do it is I will ask you to just transfer the, the, the screen to your laptop, to your computer. And mm -hmm. uh, the way how we are also doing is uh, if you have any questions, this is for the Canada, to the Canada REIC members. If you have any questions, do not hesitate to raise your hand or type it in the special uh, table called questions and I will unmute you otherwise if you will mention that you do not have a microphone I will read that question on your behalf okay so let's go switch right away let's not waste the time and can, can everybody confirm it that they can see Mr. Emmett's computer I see it anybody else Please raise your hand. Perfect. So, Mr. Emmett, it's all yours. Okay. Thank you very much, Yarek. Um, well, it's my pleasure to give you, um, give everybody here a um, sort of a two-pronged approach at RSPs. One is my basic presentation, and in mixed in with that, I've added some advanced stuff that uh, I've figured out over the past few months that uh, probably no one's seen before yet. If anyone's been into 
any of Jean Lebeau's classes or things like that, you may have seen some of this, but uh, certainly not the second half of it. So I'll just jump right in here. Um, I already talked about this and, uh, and what we do. We've done countless, countless RSP mortgages from back in the day when it was TD Waterhouse, and then they got out in 2011 or so. We began dealing with B2B Trust, and then we've uh, evolved over to Olympia Trust for um, reasons I'll talk about in a moment. When we talk about RRSPs, there are a few investments that everybody knows you can do. There's your traditional stocks and bonds. Everybody knows that. There's mutual funds. That's very common. There's GICs. You can do some more advanced stock trading tips. Not everything, but you can do things like covered calls and long calls, puts, leaps. These are very advanced stock trading techniques you can do. You can also purchase gold and silver, um, physical gold and silver, and gold and silver certificates as well. Not very practical inside an RSP though. And, uh, and a few other things like that. But one thing that people don't realize is you can invest your RRSPs or other RRSPs in mortgages secured by real property. So what does that mean? If I'm investing in a mortgage, do I have to cash it out? No, you don't cash it out. It's your, it's your RRSP that invests in the mortgage. So it's, there's no penalties, there's no tax triggers or anything like that. You just, instead of buying a mutual fund and paying $100,000 for a mutual fund, you buy a mortgage for $100,000 and make 10% interest or something. So that's the way it works and it's, uh, it's very advantageous for the investor. <clears throat> these are, again, these are generally held in self-directed type of RRSP accounts. So when we use the term RRSP here this evening, I just want to make one thing clear that it's the whole gamut of registered investment vehicles. So you can have, sometimes people call them RSPs, you can have Liras, you can have RIFs, you can have TFSAs, you can have RESPs, and there's a whole gamut of other ones that, that are not on here. I believe there's probably about, oh, I don't know, 10 or 15 different types of accounts that you can have. There's LIRSPs and all kinds of different things like that. So all those are, um, are applicable to this and these scenarios that I'm going to explain here. Now when we're talking about RRSP mortgages, there's two types of them out there. There's two main types. We have what's called a non-arm's length mortgage. So non-arm's length means picture it, I, let's say picture people who are close to you. So they're within your arm's length. So they're non-arm's length. So this essentially means you're lending your RRSPs either to yourself or to a direct family member. So your children, your brother, your sister, your parents, or vice versa, that kind of thing. This type of RSP lending can be very expensive. Um, you have to charge yourself the posted rates, so you're always going to be paying, um, I think the posted rate this week is 5.4% or whatever, no more, no less, that kind of thing. The, uh, it must be CMHC insured, so you have to pay uh, the premiums on that you must pay yourself back and the weirdest part of this because it's CMHC insured you must qualify for the mortgage so even though you're borrowing your own money or you're lending your money to your children you still have to qualify and the reason it's the rules are a lot stricter when you're dealing with non-arms length mortgages is because the government wants their taxes because all the money inside RSP accounts the tax hasn't been paid on that income yet or on that money yet. You've put that money away before taxes. When you take it out, it triggers the taxes. So the government seems to think, and I sort of agree with them there, that if you lent yourself your RRSPs, 
you just wouldn't pay yourself back. So that's why you need to um, you need to qualify and you need to have it insured and you must pay yourself back because otherwise you'd be getting your money out of your RSPs tax free, which is not the intent of an RSP. <clears throat> the second type is called an arm's length mortgage. So this think of this people who are far away from you. They're an arm's length away. So this is non-direct family members. This is uh, could be friends, coworkers, neighbors, um, longtime friends, your best friend. As long as he's not blood related, I shouldn't say blood related because it gets touchy and it gets complicated once you start talking about adoptive and children and in-laws and all that. But um, essentially, it's lending to non-direct family members. Now, one of the interesting points in the arm's length here is that uncles and cousins fall into the arm's length category. So we use that quite a bit in our investing, dealing with uncles and cousins and, and all kinds of relationships like that, which are perfectly allowed. So what's great about the arm's length is there's no qualifying. The payments are variable. You can charge whatever interest rate you want. You can make the terms whatever you want, just whatever you can negotiate and whatever you can work out with your, um, with your lender. <clears throat> So for the full definition of what arm's length and non-arm's length is, you can go to the CRA website, and uh, I think it's like 15 pages long, the definition on there. And it says in black and white that cousins are fine to do. So what we're not going to be getting into this evening is the non-arm's length stuff. So lending to yourself, to your, to your family, your direct family members and things like that. So non-arm's length, we're not going to get into that today. And the other thing some people think, oh, I can use uh, 25,000 of my RSPs. Well, yes, you can. Um, that's your first, that's in the call the first time home buyer's plan. And that's perfectly allowed, um, but not for investment properties or things like that, which is what this real estate club is about. It's not about the first-time home buyers club. It's about the real estate investing club. So it wouldn't really be applicable to, to talk about here. So a few of the basic rules. It must be on a property in Canada. However, you cannot do these in the province of Quebec. Quebec changed their rules a little while ago. And didn't make it that you couldn't, but made it so that it's darn near impossible. And I really mean, I'm not a person to use that term impossible very often, but it's, it's just not, um, it's really, really not feasible with regards to fees and, 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 and legal and, and court and all that kind of stuff to get exempt. It's just not worth it. So for all intents and purposes, these aren't doable in Quebec. Now, the investor can live in Quebec, or you can live in Quebec, but the property has to be outside of Quebec. That's one of the key factors here. Um, it has to be on a property in Canada. So if you're buying some properties in Florida or Arizona, which a lot of people are doing these days, a lot of Canadians are down doing that, you can't use RSPs for that. It has to be on properties in Canada. Okay, so now that we know a bit of the basics on an, an RSP mortgage, what is it and how does it work? Essentially, the RRSP holder becomes the bank or the lender. So instead of me going to uh, Bank of Montreal for a mortgage, or instead of me going to TD Bank for a mortgage, I go to Joe, my neighbor, who's got $200,000 in RSPs. So instead of going to the bank for $200,000, I go to Joe, my neighbor, for $200,000 if I want a first mortgage or a second mortgage or whatever. So that RRSP holder becomes the bank. Now think of the RRSP as almost a second person in this whole per in this whole um, event. So you've got Joe, your neighbor, 
and you've got Joe, your neighbor's RRSP. Think of them as two separate people because Joe can't actually touch that money because he hasn't paid the taxes on it yet. So they become the bank or the lender. They lend their money to whomever they choose. So Joe can say, yep, yeah, Emmett, you've got a really good deal. The financials look solid. I like, the, uh, I like the returns. I see there's lots of money to be made. I'm quite comfortable. I'll get my money back with all my interest. So Joe gets to make that decision. Not the bank, not the lawyers, not anybody else. It's actually Joe who makes the decision whether he lends his RRSPs out or not. So then what happens is Joe's RRSP lends the money to the real estate investor, i.e. us. So we'd be the borrower in this case, just like we'd be the borrower in any other case. So the RSP lends the money to the real estate investor, which is you. Now because it's in an RSP, and remember Joe, our neighbor here, can't, you, can't touch his money, a trustee holds the money for him. And a trustee has to administer the whole process. So there's some extra paperwork, which I'm going to get into in, in quite a bit of detail um, in the second half of the presentation. But because it's in an RSP, the trustee is the one who administers it. So there's a few extra steps, but it's really no big deal. So what is this trustee and what do, they, what do they do in the whole process? Well, essentially a trustee is someone who holds or manages an asset for the benefit of another. So essentially because the government says we can't be trusted with our own RRSP money because we haven't paid the taxes on it yet, a trustee will hold on to that money. We can direct where it goes. We can tell the trustee, put it in this mutual fund or, or invest in this mortgage or buy these stocks or buy these bonds. We can direct them where to go as long as they're listed on what's approved for RRSP purchases. You can't take it to the casino or something like that, right? Um, the government doesn't care if you do. Actually, they probably encourage it because <laughs> they own all the casinos. They probably encourage it with your, your after-tax money but not your before-tax money. So. With trustees, there's only a few that do this in Canada right now. There's a bank or a trust company called Canadian Western Trust. There's one called Olympia Trust, which I'll get into in a lot of detail. There's B2B Bank, used to be called B2B Trust. They changed the bank about a year ago. There's Scotia Bank in some limited cases, and I've also heard of some smaller credit unions. So you might have a, a small credit union with one or two branches in a small town and they say, oh, we do that and they may be able to administer that process for you. But it's really on a hit or miss basis and you really have to be speaking to the right person there. Now, one thing you'll hear is, oh, well, CIBC will tell you, oh, we do RRSP mortgages. Or RBC and TD will say, oh, we do RRSP mortgages. Yes, they do, but they do the non-arms length ones. What I'm talking about here is the arm's length mortgages, and it's only these, these select few people in Canada that do it right now. So if we look at Scotia, for instance, Scotia does this for their high-value clients only, and it's not advertised to the general public. So if you've got 50000 in your RSPs and you put it at Scotia and say, I want to invest this in a mortgage, they're going to tell you, no, we don't do that, and you're going to have a heck of a time trying to make it happen. If you had $10 million in assets and you said, I want to do 50,000 RSP mortgage, then they'd administer the process for you. So Scotia is kind of, uh, they keep it for only select clients. Canadian Western Trust has a rule where they limit the loan to value to 90%. Now, I think this is a good idea, but sometimes when we're doing a deal, we're at 91% loan to value or things like that, and we'd get bumped out from doing Canadian Western Trust. 
um, they have a minimum of 2% interest and a minimum of yearly payments. So you have to pay at least once a year the interest on the mortgage. B2B bank, um, they've got a lot of crazy rules. Um, I'm not very happy with them. You have to get an appraisal done no matter what, even if, it's a, even if you're buying it, even if it's a sale off MLS and you're comfortable with the price and what it's worth, they still want you to get an appraisal about it. They're very strict and arbitrary with their approvals, whether they let mortgages go or not, and then they don't tell you. Their customer services I find very, very poor. Um, so um, if you're going to use B2B bank because you have to, just be very careful and be ready um, to have them not fund it at the last second for no reason whatsoever. We had that happen on three or four of ours. It's very frustrating and they won't even explain it to you. Um, <clears throat> smaller credit unions, again, it varies greatly depending on the credit union. Um, I've heard of a few small ones that can do it. Now Olympia Trust, is this is my preferred trustee. They've got great customer service, they've got 100% loan to value, they do yearly payments and a 3% minimum interest payment as well. So you can, uh, which I'll get into in a little bit, but you've got to do 3% interest on the, um, as a minimum. Even though you're charging, say you're, you're being charged 10% interest on the loan for a second mortgage, you have to pay at least 3% of that every year. So the 7% can accrue, which we'll talk about later. <clears throat> so how does the whole trustee thing work? You've got your private lenders here, which are people with RRSPs, so whether they're teachers or doctors or, or businessmen or business people or whatever they may be, they would transfer their RSPs into a self-directed RSP with hopefully Olympia Trust. The trustee would administer the whole process and then via lawyers, just like any other closing with any other bank, you would, get the, uh, you would get the funds and be able to fund your deal. Now the best part of all this is that the terms are negotiated directly with the private lender. There's nothing to do with Olympia, it's got nothing to do with the trustee. They've got a few minimum requirements in there which we spoke about, but other than that um, it's, it, it's great to deal with the private lender especially if you're doing some sophisticated rehab deals or some things like that where it's, uh, it, it needs some creative finance, this is how you're going to get them done. So what do the lawyers do in the whole situation? Well, there's a few roles that the lawyers will play. They will handle this transaction like any other real estate transaction. So the lawyers, quite frankly, don't care if it's um, TD Bank funding the first mortgage and, or Joe's RRSP funding the first mortgage. It really doesn't matter to the lawyers. They register the mortgage on title just like any other transaction. They get the title insurance, they confirm property insurance and all that kind of stuff. Everything's handled like any other transaction. Now Ontario's got a rule and I'm not sure what the other provinces are like, but if you have greater than $50,000 on one deal, two lawyers get involved. So you need your lawyer to handle everything on the top of the slide there and then your investor or your RRSP holder also needs to get independent legal advice from a second lawyer. So that's, um, that's another key one there. Actually I learned that one the hard way once when I borrowed $52,000 off someone's RRSP and spent uh, about $1,500 in extra fees to get the extra $2,000. So in hindsight it wasn't the greatest of um, of, uh, of, of things for me to do, but it works out, it all worked out in the end. So just remember that rule, and that rule is by the Law Society of, of Upper Canada, so the Ontario Law Society has that. I'm sure there's similar rules in, in all the other provinces as well, but I'm not too sure. 
So now that you've got all that done and you've negotiated your your um, your thing your uh, your terms and you've negotiated your rates and uh, and payments and all that kind of stuff, you're going to have to prepare some paperwork. So Olympia Trust has some mandatory paperwork. The mandatory stuff is what they give you. So they give you a few forms. So they give you what's called a mortgage investment direction. You can go on Olympia Trust's website and find all these forms. They're, they're very easy to find. But you need what's called in the industry as an MID, so a mortgage investment direction. And that's where you put all the details on the mortgage. So I'm going to talk about that in, um, in a second here. Um, the next one you get is a mortgage electronic fund transfer form, an MEFT. So the MEFT is just basically the form that you need to, um, to uh, the direct deposit form. So they can pull the funds out of your account every month or every year without worrying about checks or all that kind of stuff. They want you to fill out that form. Very simple to fill out. The mortgage, uh, the solicitor's certificate of disclosure and undertaking. So this is just a disclaimer form for your lawyer saying they are representing this party and not the other party, and they don't have an interest and blah 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 blah. So they've got all that uh, stuff there. It's a very standard form. And then the last thing Olympia Trust requires is a property valuation. And you could do this in one of three ways. You can have a an agreement of purchase and sale. So you could have purchased the property within the last year. So as long as you purchased it and it was an arm's length transaction within the last year, they'll take that value as being the value of the property. They'll take the value on your taxes as being the value of the property. And lastly, they'll take an appraisal that's at least six months old. So if you've got a, one of those three things, um, you're, uh, you're doing okay and that they will accept that at, uh, at Olympia Trust. Now, what we figured out just to make the process go a lot smoother is to have a few extra forms. And I call these the forms and informations that uh, you, the investor, prepare. And these are optional. You don't actually need to do it. But it just, a lot of, some of them will cover your butt and some of them will, um, will, uh, will just make sure that all the information is getting passed around to the proper parties and there's not stuff getting missed. So the first one is what's called a mortgage interest letter. Now what a mortgage interest letter is, is we give that to our investors or our RSP holders once we give them a package. So here's an RSP proposal, $50,000, 10% interest, sign this form here if you're interested. It's not a legally binding contract or anything like that, it's just an interest form, they get it back to us and then everybody's, everybody's happy. That's what we call our mortgage interest letter. Then there's a mortgage commitment letter. So once they sign that, they're committing the funds to you now. So now you know that the funds are coming your way. Essentially, it's just got all the terms and conditions of the mortgage there. There's tons of examples of these all over the web where your lawyer's got them for sure and all that kind of stuff. So these are fairly standard in the industry. They just go over all the terms and conditions that you'll see in the mortgage and that. And uh, very, 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 very straightforward and in black and white and in plain English. The mortgage is written in legalese. The mortgage commitment letter is, is in plain English. <clears throat> the next one is an ILA notice letter. So what the ILA notice letter is, is it stands for independent legal advice. So because our investors generally require independent legal advice, I give them a letter saying that they have to get independent legal advice. So this letter is telling them, listen, you must get independent legal advice. We're not doing this deal without it. Please provide me with your lawyer of your choosing, and I will uh, make sure that your lawyer has all the necessary paperwork to uh, to facilitate this deal. 
because the lawyer, the the uh, independent legal advice lawyer is going to want all kinds of things. You know, make sure the property taxes are current. They're going to double check a lot of the stuff and that. Our lawyer or my lawyer is going to prepare all the paperwork, but the independent legal advice is going to uh, just confirm it all and make sure that there's nothing fishy going on. So we tell them that, and then we ask them, and then we give them a few suggestions. If they don't know a lawyer, where can they find one? So we give them the referral service for the law society. We tell them to look in the yellow pages. Um, we give them five or six names of other lawyers that we've used in the past if they were still stuck or something like that, and they, they're, they're really, um, they really don't know where to go. Because a lot of times you're just going to be dealing with people who've never done this before. So you don't want to overwhelm them with, oh, you've got to get a lawyer, and they all of a sudden think, oh, I'm going to have to spend $10,000 to get a lawyer. No, it costs like three or 400 bucks, and us as the investor, we pay for it anyway. So anyways. So it's uh, just a simple letter statement there. I like to get two pieces of ID because everybody along the way needs pieces of ID. So just getting them once from your investor and sending it all out uh, to every party, it just makes things go a lot smoother for your investor. So I like to get two pieces of ID. The other thing that I like to give too is confirmation that the property taxes are current. So I'll call the town wherever we are and say, can I get a statement saying zero balance? And then I'll make sure the lawyers get that just to save time and keep things moving. That's why these are optional. I mean, most lawyers will get them anyways, but usually they charge you like 60 bucks to get it. At least my lawyer does. So I get it for them. And then I don't have to pay the extra 60 bucks. And it's just an email to the tax people. Please send me this. They send it off right away. It's, it's not a big deal. And uh, confirmation, confirmation that the mortgagee is listed on the property insurance. Usually your insurance company will do that for free. And, uh, and, send, and you send that off to the lawyer and everybody too. So those are sort of the optional things. I mean, the last two are not optional, but it's optional that you get them up at the start. So what is the lawyer going to do now? So you've got the two types of lawyers here, and the, your lawyer is going to prepare the actual mortgage and the acknowledgement of direction for the mortgage. Again, all these standard things that you do in any, any um, agreement of purchase and sale, they're going to sign that same solicitor's disclosure statement that we spoke of earlier, they're going to sign. Uh, they're going to get you to sign a statutory declaration as to the use of the property. That's just a condition of the mortgage. So that if you're buying a triplex, that says I'm buying a triplex and I continue to use this as a triplex. Because as a lender, I wouldn't want to lend somebody money knowing it's a triplex and reviewing the financials of a triplex, and then all of a sudden they turn it into a grocery store. Well, that's a whole different risk and I may not be prepared to assume that risk in a mortgagee's position. So that's why you have to sign a statutory declaration as to the use of the property. And then the last thing is a copy of the standard charge terms. So standard charge terms is all the legalese and all the terms and conditions and what ifs and what nots and power of sale and all that stuff that goes along with any mortgage. Um, so that's just a standard that it's used throughout the industry. So that's all the things that your lawyer will prepare. The independent legal advice lawyer, I mean, I prepare all this stuff for everybody. However, they are the ones who get it signed and all that. So the Law Society of Upper Canada has a form called the Form 9D and then the Form 9E as well. So these are just two forms. They're, they're about three or four pages long. They just essentially, a lot of these forms are just saying the same thing over and over again, but with a different focus for different parties. So. Um, the 9D and 9E, you can get them off the Law Society's webpage, very easy to get. Um, they're going to check the ID of the person who's lending you the money. A lot of this stuff is for money laundering and all that, anti-money laundering, I should say. Um, they're going to sign a certificate of independent legal advice. So this lawyer is going to sign a certificate that says, I gave Joe, the neighbor, independent legal advice on this mortgage. 
and then they're going to and then your Joe the neighbor is going to sign a statement saying he's acknowledged that he's received the independent legal advice. So everyone signs that this independent legal advice has been given. So nobody afterwards can come back and say, "Oh, well, I didn't know what I was getting into." So that's the reason you do a lot of these forms and it, it as the years go on, there are more and more forms get added, but we try and keep it minimal to um to protect um to protect all the uh, all the parties involved. So what I want to do here, and I just don't, I don't have a clock on me or anything like that, but no, that's the wrong time. I just want to see how we are for time. Don't um, worry. But uh, we're okay for time, all right. Well, of course. <laughs> Thanks, Yara. <laughs> of course. Okay. Um, am I going too fast, Yarek, or is this okay? Or uh, I'm listening carefully, so making notes and enjoying your presentation. Okay, good. Thank you. So if I'm going too fast, maybe j jump in, Yarek, and, and say so, because sometimes... I understand the material quite well, and I get a little carried away in it, and I start to go at 100 miles an hour. So, sure. Um, so this example here is going to be what I like to call it a step payment. I don't know what other people call it, but when we're doing second mortgages, the typical interest rate paid on a second mortgage for us in these RSPs is 10%. So, if we were to charge people 10% per month, it greatly lowers our cash flow. I mean, the deal should be able to sustain it. And in fact, I'll even go to say the deal must sustain it. When we do all our financials, we, we use that, um, we, we make sure the deal can sustain it with a 10% second mortgage. However, for the cash flow reasons, what we, don't, what we like to do is keep our payments as minimal as possible. Because when I'm doing a lot of investing, I'm investing for cash flow, not for appreciation. I want money today, not money five years from now. So what we do is we split the payments for Olympia Trust. Remember what I said before, Olympia Trust has a minimum yearly payment of 3%. So at the very least, Olympia Trust wants to see a 3% interest payment. So you could pay that monthly or you could pay it annually, whatever it is. Now the balance can be accrued and can be paid in one balloon payment at the end of the term. So that's the little trick here, and how do you fill out the forms to say that? Because Olympia, this is something that we sort of discovered probably about six or eight months ago and, and took a few months to figure it out and how to make it work. So the um, um, so here, here's how that works. So here's how you just show it to your investor, and here's how you show it to Olympia Trust. So this has all been through Olympia Trust, and they're all okay with it, by the way. We've done a bunch of them, and actually I worked with them quite extensively to get this stuff sorted out. So um, here's how that would work. So let's assume for a moment that the Joe the investor has $50,000 RSP mortgage in second position. We're doing a 10% interest rate, like we said on the previous slide. Now the minimum interest rate paid monthly, which is 3%, and then the balance compounded annually. And in this whole term, it's interest only. We're not doing principal and interest or anything like that. It's just interest only payments. We're going to do a five-year term. So the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to calculate the overall interest that we're going to pay. So this formula right here, oops, I'm sorry. So this formula right here is the future value formula, I guess, in accounting. So the amount in the future is equal to the principal today times one plus the interest rate to the power of number of years. Now, this is a standard formula. Anybody in finance knows, knows this formula. 
So here's what we have. We have our $50,000 RSP mortgage. We have our interest rate of 10% and we have it over five years. So that gives us $80,525.50. So that's the value of the investment. If you want to break that down, that equals to $50,000 principal plus $30,525 as the interest. Now, remember, we're not, Olympia Trust doesn't allow us to pay that at the end. They want to see something throughout the term. So what we have to do is we have to take this principal here, this $80,525, and multiply it by 3%. That gives us $2,415 per year or $201 per month. So notice how we're not using the $50,000 anymore. We're using this new number over here. Now that's the way Olympia Trust wants you to calculate everything. I don't agree with it, but it, it's not worth fighting over it. Just calculate it the way they want it done and it makes everything simple. So we're going to calculate the interest using simple interest for monthly payments. So remember from our previous page here, the interest that the person is getting is $30,525. So the total investor interest is $30,525.50. Oh, something just popped up here on me. I don't know what this means. Sorry, guys. Oops. Okay. Does everyone still hear me? I hear you nice and clear. Don't worry. Okay, good. A bunch of stuff popped up from the webinar thing. So, anyways, okay. Sorry about that. So, um, the total interest for our investor is $30,525. Remember that from our previous page right here. That's how much interest they're getting. Now, we also calculated the monthly interest which is 2000 oh I made a mistake there sorry so that's it's not 2400 that should be $201 $201 which is this number right here 20131 per month times 60 months equals 12078 so just cuz i know this is being recorded yards permit me to do this here for one month times the 60 months or the five-year term, that makes $12,078.82. So $12,078, um, would you like to hide all webcams? No. Okay, sorry. I guess my internet's slowing down or something. So the $12,000 here is how much we've paid over the monthly term of the $201 per month. So what we can do is we could take the 30,525, subtract what we paid on a monthly basis, that leaves $18,446.75. So that's how much our balloon payment has to be at the end. So our, our, our payments over the term 
over the every month is $12,000. Our payment at the end is $18,000. So now what we're going to do to simplify these forms is we're going to convert it from compounding interest, which is what we were previously, into simple interest payments. So our overall return is going to be $30,525.50 over $50,000 initial investment gives us with 61.05%. And our return per year is going to be 12.21%. Now, if we convert it to simple interest, so before we had it as compound interest at 10%, if we convert it to 12% simple interest, the forms at Olympia Trust are much simpler to fill out. You can try and do it with compounding it, but it just got way too complicated. So what we did was we just converted everything from simple interest. So that's how we do it. Some of the key points on here is the face value of the mortgage. So actually, I'm going to take a step back here and show you that the balloon payment here is the $18,446.75. Remember that key number there. So the face value of the mortgage is going to be $50,000 plus the $18,000. So that's going to make a face value of the mortgage of $68,000. So we're still we're not borrowing $68,000. We're only borrowing $50,000. But because of the way Olympia Trust wants it, they want us to reserve the space in the mortgage for all this interest that's going to accrue over the five-year term. So we calculated that $18,446 is going to accrue over the five-year term. So we have to add that to the face value of the mortgage to make it there. So that's the 68,000, that's what gets registered on title. The amount advanced at the start is still only $50,000. Now what you have is a discount amount. So we're going to discount the mortgage by $18,446 and this discount, the reason for it is called prepaid interest. So that's what's going on here. We're prepaying the interest. It's being registered on title. Now the payment amount is $201 per month plus $18,446.75 due on the maturity date. This is exactly how you write it out on the Olympia Trust forms where it says payment amount. This is exactly how you write it out where it says discount amount. I'll show you in a form in a second. The interest calculation method, you say simple plus balloon at the end. Okay. Amortization period, like we spoke of earlier, there's, we're not paying down the principal, so there's no amortization because this is interest only. And the payment frequency, it's going to be monthly payments. Even though we're doing it in two chunks, they just, just because here we're, we have $201 a month, we're going to make monthly payments. Now, how do you figure out the interest rates? Because we did 10% before, but now there's a minimum of three. But if I go back a few slides, you'll see that the 3%, where do I find it here? The 3% is based on the $80,000 of the overall interest. That's 3% here. So we're not registering this amount. This is where it gets a little fuzzy to understand. But 
after working it out with Olympia, they just want to see it this way. So it really doesn't make much sense to a real estate investor, but it, it, it's not worth trying to fight Olympia Trust over it. Just do it the way they want it done, and it's all the same at the end anyways. So your interest rate for your monthly payments is going to be $201.31 times 12 months, and that's $224.15. Now, if we take that and divide it by the face value of the mortgage, that gives us 3.5%. So we're over that Olympia Trust threshold by half a percent, which is perfect, which is where we want to be. We're over by about half a percent, but it's really not enough to worry about. Um, the next one is the interest rate on the balloon payment. So what we have here is we have $18,446 and 75 cents paid on the very end. So at the last, uh, when the mortgage gets paid back, we also pay back the 18,000. Now the average balloon payment is going to be 18, so the average payment, if you want to look at it, the average effective payment would be 18,446 divided by five years or $3,689 per year. Essentially that's what we need to put aside. So if we take that 36.89 and again divide it by the face value, this gives us an effective interest rate of 5.3%. Okay, this took a little bit of a challenge here to figure it all out, and some people I may have lost them, but if you just follow these steps, um, we can we can certainly uh, you, you certainly follow them through, and be able to get exactly what Olympia Trust wants. Now the interest rate in the interest rate section of the form is 3.5% plus balloon of 5.3%. And that's where it's important that we bring everything down to simple interest for this line right here. Otherwise, it gets complicated the way we write it out. So if we look at, oh, sorry, I didn't get, get to the MID yet. So how do you explain this to your investor? Well, because your investor is going to say, well, we agreed on 10%. But the paperwork I'm signing here all says 3.5% monthly and 5.3%. I mean, even that doesn't even add up to 10%. It's only 8.8. .8. So what I do is I go back and explain it to them, and I say, you advanced $50,000 at 10% interest. That makes $30,000 over the term. I'm paying you $12,000 in chunks of $200 a month, and... I'm paying you $18,000 at the end. Now the trustee wants us to calculate it in some weird different way that just doesn't make sense to our, under, to our original understanding, but the numbers at the end of the day are still exactly the same. And that's what I show it to them, and then I calculate it out on paper for them. I don't like to overwhelm people, and I wouldn't go through all the detail that I just did in your presentation here tonight, but I would just explain it to them in that sense. Essentially, it's because you're not basing everything off of $50,000. You're basing everything off of $68,000. Now, for those um, engineers and uh, math majors and all that kind of stuff who look at this and go, well, it's 3.5%. Why don't you do it 3% and you'll get to the minimum? Yeah, you could do this whole calculation all over again and they're called iterations, and you just keep doing it until you'll eventually get closer and closer and closer to three. But 
for the sake of this, I just stop and do it once in 3.5. It's really going to be negligible. You might get your payments down to 188 or something, and for the sake of saving $13, it's not worth all the gray hairs you're going to do by doing that calculation 50 times. So that's why it is, because remember, we're doing, we're basing that 3.5 off of the 80,000. That's where we get, that's 3% of the 80, or 3.5 of the 68. So that's, um, that's how I explain it to the investor. And they, they, they go for it right away. It's like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Once you explain to them the logic behind it. So the MID with Olympia Trust now, what does this look like? And it gets a little complicated because, as you can see, you've got to handwrite some of the stuff. So this is it filled out here. So you'll put the name of the RRSP holder. You'll put their account number and then the name of your company or yourself if it's in your personal name. But essentially, whoever's going on title goes right here. The face value of the mortgage, remember from before, that's going to be $68,000, $446. We're doing this in a second position mortgage. The discount amount is the $18,446. And it asks, is this discount amount prepaid interest? You answer yes. You put in the legal description of the property. You put in the address of the property. Now, here's the tricky part. The form online only lets you type in numbers here. It doesn't let you write in words. So you actually have to print it out blank and then write in by hand 3.5% plus balloon of 5.3%. That's what I was showing you before there on uh, you write it, type, write it in exactly the way you have it there because I didn't have it that way and I had to change it one time. So write it exactly like that. Interest calculation method, simple plus balloon, like we said, term of five years, amortization period is interest only. Payment frequency, we said, was monthly. And our payment amount, and again, the same thing as interest rate over here, it only lets you put in a number. So we have to print it off blank and hand write it in. So $201.31 per month plus $18,446.75 due on maturity date. Exactly like that. Don't get fancy and say balloons and all this kind of stuff in there. Keep it as simple as possible, and that's, the, that's what you need to do. Now, your first payment date is, generally speaking, one month after the closing date. Don't, I actually realized this after, and that's why I, I hand wrote this in here. Don't write one month after the closing date. Put the actual date in there, okay? And then the same thing for here, six months, 60 months after closing date, maturity date. Don't say 60 months after closing date. Put the actual date. So if it's... January 4th, 2018, so five years away, if we're getting this money on January 4th. So January 4th, which is a Saturday, I believe. So anyway, January 7th, um, 2018. Nope, 19. So anyway, so that's, um, that's how you do it. But put the actual date in here. Your lawyer's information, be sure to include your lawyer's email and fax number. That just makes things go so much smoother. You don't get Olympia Trust calling you and emailing you and, oh, what's their fax number? Just put it right on the forms. It makes things so much easier. <clears throat> so that's what the MID will look like. And we talked about those little things right there. So oh, I didn't put the second part in. That's okay. On the second page of the MID, we'll say this just for the recording. So on the second page of the MID, what you have is there's the, am the amount advanced. And that's how much money you're getting. And then there you'd put $50,000. I thought I had that slide in there. <clears throat> so 
when you fill out the mortgage, now your lawyer is actually going to fill out the mortgage, but I tell them what to put in there, and they, we've done this enough times that they know what to put in there now. So in the section of the mortgage, what's called additional provisions, this is what needs to be included in there. So the interest will be due, calculated, and paid as follows. And you just follow this sort of word for word. And this says, firstly, interest is due at the rate of 3.5% per annum, calculated annually and payable monthly in the amount of 20131, commencing on the first payment date based on the principal amount of our $68,000. Then secondly, further interest is due at a rate of 5.3 per annum, calculated as simple interest, and payable on the amount of 68446 in one payment of 18446 on the last payment date, unless the principal is paid early, in which case the amount of said payment will be recalculated to accrue on the, to the actual payment date. So if we don't take this mortgage to five years, we don't owe our investor or our RSP holder the $18,000 anymore. If we only take it to two and a half years, then we'd only owe them $9,223, I guess. So we'd only owe them half if we took it to two and a half years. So essentially that's what it says in there. Now then it also says, the last line is the amount of principal herein of 68,000 includes the actual principal to be advanced, $50,000, plus the interest of 18,000 due on maturity. And we added that sentence in there at the end because my lawyer still couldn't get his head wrapped around why Olympia Trust was doing this. So we just put that in there to clear it all up so that for some reason somebody doesn't calculate um, and add an additional 18,000 on top of the 68. So we've got our, just to make it perfectly clear to somebody that the 18 goes on the 50 to make 68 and not, uh, and not, this, not the 18 on top of the 68. So these, this, these couple of paragraphs here will go into the, what's called the additional provision section in the mortgage statement. So what I have now is, now that I've gone over all the ways that we do, um, we fill out the forms and all that, just to take a step back on this, if you were to just give your investor a straight 10% interest, well, then you don't need to go through any of this because you're not splitting the payment up into monthly payments and balloon payments. But we like to do it this way because we, um, we, keep, it, uh, we keep our cash flow much higher and limit our expenses every month. Now, that doesn't mean we go buy big screen TVs and, and, and swimming pools with the, uh, the $18,000. That all gets put away in a reserve fund so that at the end we're able to pay that investor because, remember, the deal still is still sustainable at the 10% interest. But one of the old saying goes, the money is better in your pocket than in somebody else's. So if you have an issue with the building where, say, you need an extra nine or $10,000 to repair a roof or to do some work on the building or whatever you need, the money's on your side of the fence, not on somebody else's side of the fence. So you, you've got that cushion in there, and we use that as a reserve fund when we, uh, when we need to. So that that's to our advantage and if we don't use it then perfect it goes to the uh, it goes to the investor at the end or the that 18,000 can be paid out of equity somehow if we refinance or sell the property but um, but we've got that $18,000 set aside and earmarked to pay that person back now the the catch to that is um, what was I going to say about that I lost my train of thought for a second huh. 
Anyway, sorry about that, guys. So you keep the uh, so keep that eighteen thousand dollars aside, and that way you've got it. Uh, you're all set for your investor. I'll think of it and come back. Um, where are we here? So the next example is if you have a cash versus an RRSP. So if we have the example of a cash investor or an RRSP investor. So, sorry, let me take a step back. So you have an investor who wants to invest the cash. However, simultaneously, or that same investor also has $25,000 worth of contribution room in their RRSP. Okay, so that's what I'm saying here is, is that they don't have 25000 in their RRSPs. If they do already have the money in their RRSPs, then essentially it just follows the same pattern as the cash example because they're just lending you 25000 But in this example here, they've got 25000 sitting in their pocket with $25,000 worth of contribution room. Now, the beauty of this is that they can take that $25,000 and don't lend it to you directly what they can do is they can put it into their RRSP and then lend it to you from the RRSP. What happens there is that this will give them a huge tax credit. Depending on your tax bracket, it'll all be it'll be different for every person, but essentially they're going to get a $25,000 contribution. So you're going to see in the table here in a moment how that works. So essentially they'll be getting about $11,000 back come tax time. And that's a great yeah, that's a great incentive. They can reinvest that money, or they can, you know, do other things with it, or whatever. So this is great for somebody with has twenty five thousand dollars in contribution room. Now, it's not applicable if somebody says, "Oh, I've got twenty five thousand, and I can lend it to you for six months because then my daughter's going to college, and I need the money for that." Well, there's not much sense putting it in the RSP just for six months to take it out again. That doesn't that doesn't make much sense. So as long as it's a long-term type of investment, this, as you'll see in the next example here, makes great uh, makes a great uh, makes a great return for your investor. So um, I explain it all right here in uh, in text format. But what I want to do is explain it to you in a table format. I find it's a lot easier to to uh, to get your head around. So in our cash example here, so they loan you twenty-five thousand dollars in cash. The interest they'll make, now let's just assume there's 10% interest, and again, this will vary depending on your, your personal tax bracket, but you'd invest $25,000, or they, sorry, they, your, your person invests $25,000 with you, and you give them 10% interest, so $2,500 a year. They're not depositing anything in year one, at the end of year one. The interest for year two is another $2,500. They're not depositing anything in year two and then their interest at the end of year three is another $2,500. So this makes their total investment $32,500. Now if we look at it and they took that $25,000 from over here, put it into an RRSP and loaned you the money from the RRSP, in the first year it would be exactly the same. They would make $2,500 in interest at 10%. However, what they're doing here is assuming they get a tax credit of $11,000 and they're going to put that $11,000 into their RRSP as well. So that $11,000 um, goes into their RSP. Now their RSP has a value of $36,000. So now their interest at 10% is going to be $3,600. Now at the end of year two, 
remember they made an $11,000 RSP contribution here. So they're going to get a tax return of $4,500. So then what they can do is they can put that $4,500 into their RRSP and then reloan that again. So now sitting in their RRSP and their cash is 25 plus 11, that's 36. So that means $40,500 is in their RRSP account in cash. It's not in their account. It's they put that much cash in their RSP account. They will make on 10% interest $4,050 in interest on that on on that money because there's $40,500 in there. So at the end of year three, from this $125,000 investment, their account now is now worth $50,650. This is a very powerful table to show an investor when, they, when they've got the two scenarios. I mean, it's, it's easy to say. Now, you could compare and say, well, this cash example over here is after tax money. This one's before tax money. If you took the tax off of this, yeah, you'd be close again. But you remember, now your investment, your investment is $50,000, and it's growing. Your $50,000 is growing. Here, it's only your $32,000 is growing. So they will grow and grow and grow. This side will grow much faster because there's more money in it than this side over here. So this is great. Now these work very, very well when you have um, people with very large pensions, generally speaking. So we've done a few with uh, police officers and uh, government teachers, uh, government workers, things like that, because they have these very large pensions. And because they have such, such big pensions, they, generally speaking, don't tend to contribute to their RRSPs. So because they don't tend to contribute to their RRSPs, um, because they, they feel they have the pension, there's usually a lot of room left in there for them to contribute that they, just, they, they don't even see. They don't even realize it's there. Um, we were just looking at somebody's the other day, and they had $50,000 in RRSP contribution room and they wanted to do a $25,000 investment. So we were sort of showing them to, uh, to push it into the, uh, the, the second mortgage this way, in the RSP way. So keep that in mind when you're dealing with somebody who wants to invest cash, have they got the room to do it through an RSP? It's much more advantageous. Now, how do you get the money out in the second and third years over here? So this one's easy. It all just happens right at the right time, $25,000. Now the next year is 11,000 and then 4,500. So what you have to do here is uh, imagine the 3% is always getting paid, but you still have to reserve this $50,650. So there has to be that much space there for all this interest to accrue. Okay, so what that means is, is this will all have to build up, but you have to reserve that space. I develop a plan with our investor that tells them that once they put in the 25,000, the 11 that they're going to get, that's got to go back into the RRSP. When that goes back into the RRSP, we get the 40, the, then we know next year we're getting another $4,500. That's the way it's, um, excuse me, that's the way it's designed and we make that plan with them and these are great for renovations and um, say you're buying a four-unit building or a five-unit building, whatever you are, and it needs some work. So you know you're buying it, you get your standard mortgage and all that with your normal down payment and all that kind of stuff, but what you need is you need $25,000 to do some repairs to it right away. 
and you know next year you're going to want to do the roof, and then the year after that you're going to want to change a bunch of windows. So this plan works perfectly for things like that. So you could do the 25000 that you need now to renovate the apartments. You know in a year you're going to be getting another eleven, so you can use that to repair the window, to repair the roof, and then in year two you've got your $4,500 that you can use to repair those windows. And all that money comes to you. All you have to do from Olympia Trust is just request a, an, another advance on the mortgage because you've reserved, you've uh, had a value of 50000 put on it right at the start, even though they only advanced twenty-five. So it's just like a check processing fee of maybe a hundred bucks or something like that to advance more money on it. So these things can be very creative, and you just need to 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 build them to suit your uh, to suit your opportunity. Now we've talked a little bit of between compounding and simple interest. Albert Einstein, one of my famous quotes from one of my most famous quotes from Albert Einstein is. Um, he said that the most powerful force in the universe is compound interest. It's kind of weird. It's not, um, you know, not nuclear physics or you know, uh, nuclear forces or anything like that. It's compound interest, is what he said. The previous example would even go through the roof for your investor if you used compound interest, because when you use compound interest, your money doubles at approximately every seven years. That's the way it works. Um, this is a business decision that you'll have to make, like the examples there previously, I showed you compound interest. We like to do compound interest in ours, and um, it makes your investors' money grow faster, and, um, and, and they get more of an advantage, and it keeps everybody happy at the end. But some people say 12% simple interest instead of, instead of uh, the compounding interest, and th th that's okay. It seems like a bigger number, so it seems like you're getting more money. You're actually getting a little bit less because if you compound it over five years, it's actually 12.21 from our, from our previous example. So anyways, it's all, um, it's all the way and you want to position this, but um, if you used uh, compounding interest in a lot of these examples, they, they, go, uh, they go a lot higher as well. So what are the advantages now for doing all these RSP mortgages? We've been talking about them. I think people's heads are starting to spin now with all these ideas, and I've thrown all kinds of numbers at you and all kinds of things at you. Um, the, the advantages for this is that you negotiate directly with the lender. You could say to them, listen, I need 25000 now, I need eleven next year, and I'll need about another four or five the year after that. Perfect. Let's make that plan. Let's work together for the next three years and make this happen. That's, um, that's one of the key things you can do. You can tell your investor, listen, I'm not going to make any payments for the first year, or I'm only making minimal payments for the first year. What bank will let you do that? Very, very few of them. So that's why it's a great idea that you can negotiate directly with the lender. <clears throat> so here's some of the ideas. Monthly payments, interest only, again, balloon payments. Again, the sum limits apply there. We talked about that. The minimum of 3% at Olympia Trust now. You can do step payments. You can do all kinds of different things with the uh, with the investor. You know, once your vacancy rate gets up, you'll pay them more and things like that. Um, but you can do the step payment plan that we just showed you uh, in the earlier one. You can make your rates variable. You can make them constant. You can do whatever you want. There's no qualifying or there's no credit checks. I mean, you may want to reassure your investor and say, listen. I'm a, a reputable person. Here's my credit score. I'm not uh, been ten times bankrupt or anything like that. You can or you can't. It's all about how you present yourself and your level of credibility. 
um, but it's not. There's not going to be a, a, a hard and fast restriction that says, "Oh, your credit score must be 680." If it's 679, we're not giving you any money. That that's not going to happen. Um, generally speaking, these are open mortgages to pay back at any time without penalty. There's no fire retrofits. There's no anything like that. There's very very little red tape. Now that doesn't mean you could take advantage of your lender. I want to make that perfectly clear. You still want to make sure that they're always protected, but it just makes the deal go a lot smoother when you don't have environmental reports, or your environmental report is six years old for a building, and the lender lasts 40 years, and it's going to be an apartment building for the next 40 years, and they want to see an environmental report that says no one's built a gas station on it, tore it down, and then rebuilt the apartment building, or something silly like that. So there's a lot less red tape that you can, that you can do. There's no broker's fees. I mean, mortgage brokers do do a lot of these deals, and they are very, um, very well, um, very well versed in this kind of thing. Especially, I don't know if a lot of you guys know Claire through the club. Claire does a lot of these with us as well. But if it's just you dealing with Joe, your neighbor, there's no broker's fees involved. There's no down payment verification. So with a lot of banks, they've got their their money laundering rules and a lot of things like that. So they want to see where your down payment's coming from. Well, in these cases, Joe the neighbor is not going to check where your down payment's coming from. And you can go 100% loan to value. Again, that doesn't mean that you can take advantage and expose your investor to something like that. But as real estate investors, we tend to be above average negotiators. So what that means is we'll take a house that say, or we'll take a building that's worth 300000 Well, we're able to negotiate it down to two hundred and sixty. Well, what that means is the house is where the property's worth three hundred thousand, but we're getting it for two sixty. Now the banks will say they'll lend on eighty percent loan to value of the lesser of the appraised value or the actual purchase price. But in this case here, it's loan to value. So if we get an appraisal that says it's worth three hundred thousand, we can borrow up to two hundred and sixty thousand from our RSP and still have forty percent worth of equity there to be protecting them with. So there's a lot of things like that, which is why I prefer Olympia over Canadian Western Trust because of that 10% loan-to-value discrepancy. So that's another great thing is uh, regarding the loan-to-value there. Low setup fees as well. If you're dealing with private, uh, you're dealing with hard money lenders, and that you're going to pay lenders' fees and brokers' fees. Essentially, all you're doing is paying the trustee, which is a couple hundred dollars, and uh, the lawyers. So your lawyer might charge you about twelve hundred bucks or something like that, and then the independent legal advice, at most four hundred bucks. So that's the um, that's the great great advantages to doing these RSP mortgages. And we're almost at the point now, and I say almost, I should say we are at the point. We don't even use traditional lending anymore. Even if we're doing um, a multi-unit building, well, what we'll do is we'll pool multiple RSPs together, so which is you're more than allowed to do. So if I need two hundred thousand dollars mortgage on a property, but nobody has two hundred thousand dollars, I can make that up with three people and say you're going to put in fifty, someone else will put in one or twenty-five, and then a third person will put in one twenty-five, so I can get my two hundred. That's perfectly allowed. You can bring as many people as you want together. Now, just pay attention that each one of these, the trustee is going to charge you the $400 setup fee. So, you know, you don't want to bring in 20 people at $1,000 or 20 people at $10,000 each or something like that because then you're going to be paying 
about $8,000 in trustee fees plus your, so it's going to cost you quite a bit. So just pay attention to your fees when you're pooling and make sure that it makes sense for you. But that's definitely, and that's something that we're doing right now is we're pooling um, $575,000, putting that together. No, no one person has that. We're putting it together in, in chunks of 50 all the way up to 150, and there's about six people on it. So it's working out really well. So keep that in mind as well. Now, when you're trading in mortgages, mortgages are a what's called a security. So security is something you can, I don't know the proper definition of security, but it's something you can invest in. So a stock is a security. Um, life insurance is a type of, is a form of security. Bonds, mutual funds, these are all securities. So every province has what's called an SEC or a Security and Exchange Commission. So this Security and Exchange Commission monitors that um, so that the general public doesn't get ripped off. So what they do is, what I want you guys to do is know the rules of the Security and Exchange Commission in your province. Now, I know for a fact in Ontario, they've got a great website with a lot of brochures, easy to read. You can just go on there and within about 15 minutes, you can have a very, very good understanding of what the rules are, what you're allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do. Generally speaking, you're only allowed to market these investment opportunities to family, friends, and associates, not the general public. So I can't put a big sign up on the side of the highway and say, I need 575,000 in RSPs. Come talk to Emmett and leave my phone number. I can't do that because I don't have a license to sell mortgages. Because that's essentially what I'm doing. I'm selling a mortgage investment. I don't have a license to do that, so I can't market that to the general public. However, I can talk to my family. I can talk to my friends and any associates. Now, what is an associate or acquaintance or however you want to, uh, to say that? They're generally somebody who you've known for three, uh, you've made three points of contact with and you've known them for longer than 30 days. Now, that's not a hard and fast rule, but that's sort of the generally accepted term as uh, what an associate or what an acquaintance is. So if you're meeting somebody at a networking event, you meet them one night, um, the week after you pick up the phone, you give them a call saying, hey, how's it going? Just touching base, making sure you're, you know, everything's going good and you got any questions or whatever. And then maybe I call the next week or an email or you bump into them again at a different event. There's your three points of contact. That happens over 30 days. Now you're allowed to start speaking to that person about RSP investing. And, uh, and things like that. I mean, you could say in general that I do RSP mortgages and that kind of thing. That's fine, but you just can't solicit um, a specific deal and start talking about interest rates and all that kind of stuff. It's not as if um, you can't use the word RSP around them or anything like that. Um, but um, but just just be careful and know the rules for your individual province. So you must be mar you must be registered to market to the to the general public now. What a good thing is, is mortgage brokers are able to do this. So if you know a mortgage broker and you've got a bunch of people, you can put them in contact with your mortgage broker. Your mortgage broker can put the whole thing together for you. Now, they'll probably charge a fee for their time because they don't work for free and neither do you. So, um, but your mortgage brokers are licensed to, um, to do this kind of stuff. So that's, uh, that's a great tool and a great person on your power team. Um, to do that, so talk to Claire if uh, if you're interested in doing something like that. I think her she's on the the Canada REIC um, info on that, and she's in the club and that kind of stuff. So she's great to to get more info on that. Now 
this is the one thing that actually I came up with. It was just kind of like an aha moment a little while ago, uh, probably a couple years ago. But seller financing. So when you're trying to get a VTB out of a seller, and the argument, not the argument, but the objection you always get is, oh, I'm, I'm moving on to a better deal. Um, I need the money to do another investment, or I need the money to, to do this, so I need all the money from the sale. Well, excuse me, well, that's fine. What I, the ne my next question is, is I'll ask them, well, is that the only thing? Because I need a VTB to make this deal work, or it, it, it doesn't work. The numbers just aren't there for me. Yeah, well, if I could do it for you, I would and all that, but I, you know, I want to do this investment and I need the money. So my next question is, do you have any RSPs? Because if the seller has RSPs, why not use those RSPs as the VTB instead of the um, instead of the equity in their property? As a matter of fact, it's probably better. He's probably better off to do that anyways. Even if he doesn't have the money, the equity money, or the money from the sale earmarked for anything, just because at least this is after cash money and it's money in his pocket versus money that's that's tied up in a trustee somewhere. So this is a great tool. To, uh, to 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 say to uh, to say to a seller um, if they have any RSPs. So we we we've tried that a few times. Actually, I've never done one. I've had some people commit to it, but we just didn't buy the property for other reasons. So it it never panned out. But um, it, it's kind of an easy an easy sell for for a lot of uh, for a lot of sellers, especially when they're selling buildings um, that are having trouble selling. So as my wrap-up slide here, these RSPs are very powerful. They're a great way to get creative in your, um, in your real estate investing. But what I want everybody to realize is you have to be responsible. This is people's retirement funds that you're dealing with. Now, don't be afraid of it because of that, but be respectful of it. Don't say, oh, well, they'll let me go to 100% loan to value, so I'll do that on all my deals. Well, you may not want to over leverage your properties just for the sake of over leveraging them. They have to be able to sustain it and things like that. So be very, very mindful that these are, um, th these are people's sort of life savings and all that and, and invest them wisely for them, not just because it's easy, so I'm going to go that route. So just be careful about that. One thing I ask everybody to do is be creative with these because every time I talk to somebody, they'll tell me, oh, I did this with an RSP and I'm like, oh my God, that's amazing. Like that's the probably the best thing you could you know like I hadn't even heard of that hadn't even thought of that so they'll come up with some creative ways and that's how I I came across the um, the, the three and seven there that we talked the step payment plan that I talked about earlier and all these kind of things so then you can take that and just be as creative as you want to with it and it's just a fantastic way to invest in real estate you're not bogged down by all your red tape that banks will do and all their lending rules and criteria and all that kind of stuff it's fantastic. There is, I don't know the number, this is a few years old, it could have changed a little bit, but essentially there's about $30 billion in RRSP money. Everybody knows somebody with RRSPs. There should be no excuse for anybody out there to say, oh, I don't know anyone with RRSPs. No, no way. If you don't know anybody with RRSPs, go to a real estate investing um, network uh, in your area and you'll find someone with RSPs there, guaranteed. Everybody's got them, even if it's just 25000 Sometimes that's all it is to make or break the, um, the ROI on a deal or to make it happen and all that kind of stuff. So don't be shy to ask. Um, 
it's all um, it's all about selling yourself in a way but don't be afraid don't be shy to ask and um, RSPs are a great great tool to use if anybody wants more information on this kind of stuff um, actually I should have put it in there but there's a there's a, if you go to my blog there's it's there this blog realestateinvestingbooks.ca if you take write that down or take a screenshot of it or whatever you want to do and there's a book there called um, I, I I give a talk on it called RSP Secrets by Greg Habsprit. Great book. Great, great book. He's written it. I don't know how old it is now. It's probably about three or four years old, but it's still it's still quite uh, quite an informative book. He talks a lot about TD Waterhouse in there, which is not applicable anymore. So um, so there's a lot of dated things in there, but the general picture of it is still is still fantastic. Um, get in touch with me. Follow me on Twitter if you want. I do a lot of RSP stuff on Twitter and just little things. If I'm coming across an article and that, I talk a little lot about it. Connect with me on LinkedIn if you want. Um, and then there's my email address. Um, if anyone's got any direct questions or wants to talk to me about that, um, that's great. Don't email me and say I've got 50,000 RSPs. Can can you invest it for me? Uh, I can't because I'm not licensed and I'm not soliciting anything right here right now. This is just educational. So don't email me with that. Uh, email me with uh, who can I use, and then I'll get you Claire's email or something like that, and she'll be able to she'll be able to help you out uh, as to uh, as to vetting that and to finding a great investment. So, um, but don't uh, don't come to me with with things like that. I'm just I'll just politely decline and, and forward it off to Claire. So that's it for my presentation. Um, I don't even know what time we're at or how long I've taken or anything like that. But uh, let's open the floor to questions. Thank you very much. That was uh, like machine gun, boom, 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 information, right? So that's perfect, yeah. right? I got. I just have a chit chat with a couple investors, and they were saying perfect speed. There was no problem, so don't worry. Took you uh, one hour sixteen minutes, so not okay. an hour forty-five. That's perfectly fine. And uh, a lot of it a lot of hour, It takes an hour forty-five when I'm in a classroom doing it. So maybe there's more interaction, and that and that cuts cuts it back on the webinars. Definitely, definitely. Thank you very much. Uh, additionally, also. Um, Mr. Emmett is a Canada REIC men member, and yes. uh, if there is an always suggestion, and honestly, I truly believe it, that is the proper way. If you have any uh, private information, if it's confidential, uh, by all means, con contact Mr. Emmett directly. Otherwise, if anybody else can benefit from the same question, I do really encourage you to use the networking section and then uh, raising the capital discussion board uh, forum, and you can create that the question, and I can promise you we will get you an answer. Very simple. Okay? Yeah. I checked the, I checked the website, uh, Yarek, just so you know. I. I I've got a task on. I think it's Tuesdays and Thursdays. I, I go on the website and see and all that kind of stuff. So, honestly, uh, as long every member will spend 15 minutes once a week, uh, will be perfect, right? So, reading, yeah. participating, answering the questions and everything. That is the networking power. Uh, so, should we open the the mic for questions? Yeah, let's get some questions. Sure. Perfect. Okay, just allow me, Mr. Sam. Okay, I have a Mr. Sam. Mr. Sam, he has always questions. Just allow me to 
find Mr. Sam. I have to scroll it. There we go. Mr. Hi, hi, Emmett and Yarek. Um, can you hear me? Hi, Sam. I can hear you great, Sam. Go ahead. Uh, Emmett, you really did a fantastic job. That was, in my opinion, a rich journey through math, accounting, and investment <laughs> information. Thank <laughs> to you. To put it in a simple way. Uh, surprisingly, I followed every word you said. I understood everything, and I took oh, I'm glad. Uh, a lot of comments, uh, I mean notes, and I wish that Yarek would put it on the website, and you will have a second part of this interesting uh, discussion. Okay, now, sure. Yeah, meanwhile, I have just a few questions. I don't know if you have enough patience to listen to me. Oh, I absolutely do. Go right ahead. All right. Now, do you need to be incorporated to do this business or you can do it as an individual? You can absolutely do it as an individual. We've, some of our, uh, we've done it in corporations, we've done it in individuals as well. Uh, e either way is fine. Okay, that takes me to, uh, to the second question. Uh, can you use your own RRSP in your own company which you own? Does Olympia accept this scenario? Um, the the short answer to that is no. Okay. The long answer, <laughs> yeah, that would be great if it were just that simple. We create a corporation and lend our own RSPs. No, it's um, and the long answer is, it depends. There are ways around it with trusts and things like that. So if you've got shares in trust with somebody else, and it can get it, it gets a little complicated with with legal stuff and. Um, you know, if you had twenty-five thousand, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't suggest going through all that route. But if you had, um, you know, a couple of hundred thousand, then I'd say maybe it's worth spending three or four of it to get the lawyers to prepare the trust and all that kind of stuff, so that it's done. Uh, so that it's done properly. Um, you'll still need an executor for that trust or a director for that corporation, someone who you can trust. And um, I mean, it's all written down, but still, at the end of the day, it, it all comes down to trust in, in a lot of these transactions. Um, and uh, there is another way to do it. If you're a shareholder in the company, but you're a minority shareholder, and I don't know what that percentage means. So say I'm just going to guess and say a number around 15 or 20 percent. If you own less than 15 or 20 percent of the shares of that corporation, then or or something that you control, um, if you have a controlling interest in it, then um, then you're allowed to do the RSP thing. But again, it, it gets into a gray area there. There's not any one uh, CRA rule that says, oh, it's X percent. Um, it's none that I'm aware of. So it's uh, it's I, we've done it a couple times and we've gone down the trust route, not the uh, not the percentage of the shares route. You know, I mean, a few years ago, I have a discussion with Olympia on this subject, yes. and at that time, the answer they gave me that the incorporation has to be like traded on the stock market to allow that. I don't know what was the meaning of that, but that's the scenario they gave me. Um. I know I I don't know if there's something changed because we've only been using Olympia now for probably the last 18 months or so, so I don't know that. But I can tell you for a fact that I've done dozens and dozens and dozens of these in corporations, and none of them are on the stock market. So okay. um, I know firsthand Maybe, uh, that that's not the case. Have changed. 
Okay, uh, Emit, from your scenario, supposedly you have a single house you want to buy and you want to use um, other people RRSP. Now, yes. definitely, as, as you can see, there are a lot of uh, preparation, paperwork, cost, in all that. Yes. What would be the feasible um, or the minimum amount you would go for as an RRSP to make your investment sound and your time is valuable for that? Right. That's an excellent, excellent question. Um, this will come down to a business decision on your part, but for us, our minimum investment when we're talking to people is $25,000. If they're investing anything less than $25,000, it's because if whether they're investing $25,000 or you know $750,000, the fees are essentially the same. You're still going to pay about maybe between $2,000 and $2,500 in fees. That's it. So if you look at that on a percentage basis, on 25000 that's almost 10% just in fees. Um, so that's kind of our threshold. Now I have done some for 18000 That's our lowest one we ever did. That was a favor for, uh, for an investor who had several hundred thousand dollars with us. And then in his wife's RSP, she had 18000 And he was really pushing me to use that 18000 So I found, a, I found an opportunity to throw her 18000 onto something. But um, and that was just a business decision that we made. It was more of a favor for that investor than uh, than anything else. But as a general rule, twenty five thousand is going to be the minimum to make it worth your time. Okay, that's great. Now tell me, Amit, what is uh, the average time it takes for this administration um, from the point you start uh, the process until you have the money? If let's assume all your paperwork is all in order, so there's no paperwork going back and forth, I have taken sometimes three weeks to get it all done with paperwork going back and forth sometimes. And on other occasions, believe it or not, I've sent in the paperwork to Olympia Trust on um, Wednesday morning and on Thursday afternoon I was picking up a check at my lawyer's office. Wow. So it, you know what, it just all depends on how complicated the deal is. If you did one of these stepped payments that I'm talking about, don't expect it that fast because there's a few people at Olympia that have to review it and they've got to check things over and all that, so it's not going to take that quick. But if it's just a boom, boom, in and out, um, it's, you know, two, three days. Excellent. Uh, I don't know if I can ask more questions for you. Yarek, you're monitoring uh, the questions there. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, normally, I take over all the questions from the public. <laughs> Go ahead, Sam. That's no problem. To you. <laughs> okay, I don't have much, just maybe a couple more. Now, you talked about pooling RRSP. Yes. Um, what are the limits? I mean, how many um, uh, numbers you can take? Um, would they be like lenders or partners? Because as you mentioned, there are some limitations with the security commissioner. Um, and then you have to step to the like offering memorandum if uh, the public are involved. So in right. your uh, in your scenario, wh how many people you can involve on individual basis without um, you know breaking the law or the rules of the commissioner? Um, as far as I know, there's no limit to the number of people that you can pool together as long as they all fall into that family, friends, and acquaintance category. Um, again, I can't just be going to the to the general public and and just you know handing out flyers on a street corner kind of thing. So um, as far as I know, there's no limit. Like it's not like oh you can't go past ten. 
or anything like that. I, I'm n nothing that I'm aware of. Okay. I understood also that uh, you do not impose, or Olympia does not impose, any um, points or late penalties on the mortgage you're taking through the RRSP. Is that true? That again, that's all in your negotiation with the inv with the investor. So on now, don't quote me on this because I haven't read it in a very very long time. But the standard charge terms that are going to go along with every single one of these mortgage will cover late payments and will cover fees and bounce checks or whatever you know may happen and that kind of thing and uh, checks going NSF but again at the end of the day it's all between you and your investor so um, generally speaking I don't like to be uh, late paying an investor but the key to all this is communication and has it happened before yes um, I think our worst one, we were uh, three and a half months late. It was a reno project and it was just getting delay after delay after delay. And we just stayed in touch with our investor and just kind of said, listen, it's, it's going a little longer. It's going, and they were okay with it and they were okay with it. So again, these, are, these aren't strangers. These aren't, you know, it's not the, the hell's angels that you're borrowing money off of or anything like that. These are family, friends, and acquaintances. So they're generally speaking going to be reasonable people. So if you're encountering delays or you're having funding issues, you can just tell them, listen, I'm having some issues and it's going to take a little bit longer and I've never had anybody say no to me. Thank you, Amit. My last question to you, I, I am referring to the example you took where you compare cash against RRSP. And yes. Unless I don't understand it very well, I do not see it very uh, compar um, comparable. On the cash side, uh, you do not inject any money during the year one and two and so on, while when you take the RRSP, you start injecting year one, year two, coming from RRSP, saving you uh, taxing, um, tax, etc. So you could also inject on the cash side to make it um, comparable. Otherwise, you know, when you look at the end result on each column, um, it looks, you know, a bit um, like exaggerated. Yeah, you can okay. see here. Let, let me let me explain this for a second here, Sam. So, okay. can you see it in front of you here, Sam? Yes, I can. Thank you. Okay. So, when you have this $25,000 that you put in the cash example, you're not injecting anything at the end of year one, correct? Right. Now, on the RSP side, you've got your $25,000, but this $11,000 injection here, that doesn't come from you. That comes from your tax return from filing your uh, $25,000 RSP contribution. So that $11,000 doesn't come from you technically either. It's a tax credit from the government for making a $25,000 RSP contribution. You no, that I, I understand that, but okay. you know, it just, you know, the total at the end of each column, uh, you, you find a big difference and this basically came because you are you were injecting money a relative from where the money came you know but uh, you were injecting you could this uh, put the 11000 in your rrsp account wherever it is and you will save the same amount right but the basically. rsp money sam it's not your money it's the tax return from the government so at the very start you're taking $25000 out of your pocket and putting it in and that's it you're not taking any more money out of your pocket. 
the 11,000 is coming from another source, it's coming from the tax credits and the tax benefits of having an RSP account. Yeah, okay. So, so that's, that's, my, that, that's, the, that's the advantage to that. Well, yes, you are injecting $11,000, and I, I, I you know, respectfully disagree. It's irrelevant where the money comes from because you know, if you didn't get that tax credit, and I would still, then I wouldn't say, we'll put the 11000 and then that wouldn't be a fair example. But this is, it, it's, I almost want to call it found money. Right, only because yeah, you make that. in a way you're taking advantage of the RRSP scenario. Exactly. But but you're still injecting money in the investment, whatever. Right. Okay. Thank you, Amit. That was fantastic. That's all for me now. Thank you, um, Sam. I hope you will do more in the future. Okay. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Sam, I got the message. I have to invite <laughs> for more presentations, Mr. Emmett. Well, actually, honestly, Eric, this is one of the best I have attended. It's full of um, useful hints and scenarios and math, and um, yeah, it was really very enjoyable. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. Emmett, did you get the message? Yes, I did. So we'll see you next week. Is that it or what? <laughs> you know, next when, you year. Get a piece, when you get a piece of a nice pie, you want more. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, you know what? I, I'd love to come back again, Yarek. So the next time you want to invite me, we can we can expand on this, or we can talk about some other things that I'm doing, or whatever. So I'd, I'd love to come back. It's uh, my pleasure. RSP investing is very very hot topic. I can tell you that, and there's so many it questions. Yeah, so. yeah. It is, and you know, this opens a, a big um, venue in front of the investors to get uh, sources of money. Yeah. No doubt. As you, as you said, every, everywhere you have RRSP, on the yeah. corner, on the neighbors, everywhere. That's right. Everybody's got RRSPs. Yeah. Right. Okay, Sam, I'm going to meet you now. Thank the, you very much, Eric. You're most welcome. And uh, Mr. Toms, Thomas, Thomas, okay. Uh, can we invest RSP money into your U.S. properties? Um, no, Tom, you cannot. The property has to be uh, physically located in Canada except Quebec. So the property cannot be in Quebec, but it has to be in Canada, so negative on the U.S. Now, the U.S. have a similar program, so the comparable um, uh, RRSP in the U.S. is called a 401k or an IRA, um, an IRA, Investment Retirement Annuity or Investment Retirement Account. Um, that's what they're called in the U.S. And you can do the same thing with U.S. investment accounts on U.S. properties. It's, it's a similar process. I, I don't know it. I, I know of it. But, I, um, but you cannot use a Canadian RSP to, to invest on a U.S. property. Now, what you can do is say you had a property with some equity in Canada you could use an RSP invested on that property, then take that money and use that cash to go invest in the U.S. if you wanted to. That's an option, but the, 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 pro the, the, mortgage, the RSP mortgage has to be registered on a property on Canadian soil. Uh, I hope that answers your question, Tom. Thank you very much. Uh, yep. Yes. So. Okay, good. Okay, uh, is there any other questions? I will going to give you a 30 uh, a minute time frame. Just for, if you permit me to add it, uh, RSP investing and working with the investors, uh, we are running the foreclosure list service, so we have access to the uh, 
uh, the weekly records of the foreclosures in Calgary and Edmonton, and I can tell you, Olympia Trust is maybe foreclosing on, on the deals maybe, I don't know, once or twice a year. So that's a very, very secure investment and it's more, much more personal touch between the, the, the investors and uh, people which they are putting those, those money, right? So that's one of the things which I would like to just mention. So it's much more personal touch. Do you agree with me? Uh, absolutely. The the RSPs. Now there there's R or sorry the the second mortgages because we do RSP first mortgages and second mortgages. When we do them again, risk goes with reward. So when we do them in first position, we generally pay our investors six and a half percent. When we do them in second position, we pay our investors ten uh, percent. Um, now there's a bit of a negative stigma when it comes to our or it's when it comes to second mortgages. People think, "Oh, my uncle tried second mortgages, investing in mortgages, and he lost all his money." Well, that's quite possible, but it all depends on what you're investing in. I only invest RSP, my own personal RSP money, which is all in second mortgages. I only invest my own personal RSP money on cash flowing um, real estate. I, I won't do it on someone's say rental or some I won't do it on someone's personal house who they want to do a debt consolidation loan or they want to have a pool because next thing you know one of the one of the people in the household loses their job they can't make the payments the house has to sell and you lose your RSPs so that's where the negative stigma comes in with the um, with the second mortgages and that's where a lot of people get into trouble investing in second mortgages what we're talking about here today is investing second mortgages or RSP second mortgages in cash flowing real estate. So there's a business plan associated with it. With I what I share with my investor, I share with them, and I go, "This is my plan. This is my cash flow every month. Look, I make X amount of dollars, and I make say I make a thousand dollars a month in positive cash flow, and your payment in that is three hundred dollars. So there's lots of buffer in there." There's no need for injection of cash. They get to see the the ample amounts of uh, of cash flow, so that that's the business plan that we show them. So they know that this is a, a protected asset for for them, not just a uh, you know a whim that hopefully they uh, hopefully these people they just lent money to don't lose their job and can't afford to pay. Okay, so there's no more questions. Uh, would you like to have a final closing? Thoughts? A, close, a closing thoughts. Um, sure, we can have some closing thoughts. I just want to reiterate here. Let me just go back to my, sorry, I'll just click through real quick on my slides. Oh, I did it again. Sorry. Go to my last slide here. Second last slide. Please be responsible with people's RSPs. Again, these are their life savings. They are going to trust you with their life savings because they see the returns they can get. Don't be foolish with it. Um, don't invest their money with something that you would not invest your money with. So be very, very careful with it. Um, this is a very new-ish industry in the last three or four years. Um, it can very easily be um, be tarnished with uh, with a few bad investments or a few bad um, a few bad lawsuits kind of thing happen. So be very very um, mindful of people's RRSP money, but be creative as possible. That's one thing I want to just stress is 
yeah, the, the power of these RSPs is the creativeness of it. It, it's, it can be whatever you want it to be. Um, and don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid to ask people. Don't be afraid to talk to people. Hey, listen, if you know somebody with some RSPs that wants to invest it in real estate, uh, tell them to give me a call. And then maybe that person will give you a call or they'll know about somebody or something like that. So everybody always knows somebody with RSPs and everybody always knows somebody who wants to invest in real estate. So that, that's my closing thoughts. Um, give, me a, give me a tweet. Contact me on LinkedIn. Contact me through the social networking areas of the uh, Real Estate Investors Group, Canadian Real Estate Investors Group site. Um, check out my blog. Check out my email. Or, sorry, email me. And uh, I'd love to answer any further follow-up questions you have or, uh, or anything like that. Street Smart Real Estate Investing. Welcome to the new innovative concept of real estate investing. No more expensive courses. No more high-priced mentors taking your money and leaving you without ongoing support. Become a full-time seasoned real estate investor by participating with our already successful team members. Now is the time to stop talking about real estate investing and start doing. Take action. Just ask and we will help you. We promise one thing no BS. For more info, www.streetsmartrei.com.